Hi, my name is Beth, and I am the host of the Seeking Light podcast. In a world that presents us with growth and challenges, there is tremendous light. And this podcast is a source of light through scriptural insights that I have gained through the years. Come join me as I share light in a world that can sometimes be confusing. Okay, everybody, I want to welcome you to today's podcast. You are all going to love it. It's going to be an amazing interview, um, not because of me, but because of my guests, Tamara and Doug Gunderson. I got a text from my friend Tara, and she said, Beth, I need your help. Will you please pray for my brother and fast? Whatever you can do, we need help. And I was like, what's going on? And I <laughs> sorry, I'm getting emotional, but I started crying. I didn't know Doug per se, but I knew Tamara because I had met her. We went on a run. Uh, we did a run in central Oregon together and I met her and I really fell um, in love with her as a person, as a human being. So I was crying. Absolutely. I messaged all my family. Please pray for this man. This is what I know. Here's the way to follow it over time. I started reading about everything I could on CareBridge or Bridge Care. I can't, I can't remember the name. Care Bridge. Care Bridge. Yeah. And I just would send it. My parents would ask me, please tell us more. How's Doug doing? How's the family? What do you know? So I had my whole family in Utah and Oregon and all the other states uh, praying for Doug and Tamara. And um, I left social media, so I wasn't able to really follow anymore. And I knew that Doug came home. And recently, Tara texted me with a podcast. And it was with Doug and Tamara interviewing with a teacher that I know from BYU-Idaho, Liza Lawrence. And so I reached out to Tamara and asked her if she and Doug would come onto my podcast and share their story. So Doug got COVID and went through the trial of probably their life. They will tell you whatever. And, um, he made it, he lived, he had to go to the hospital and he experienced stroke and he went through a lot, but they're alive and they're here to tell their story. And so Doug and Tamara, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. <laughs> so Tamara and Doug, let's start off a little bit about your history. Can you tell everyone when you met a little bit about your love story and then about your family? So I grew up in Burns, Oregon, really small town away from anything, two hours away from any shopping or anything like that, and uh, moved up to Gresham. And my first <clears throat> church event that I went to was um, a church party out in uh, Estacada, and I saw Tamara, but I didn't know her yet, and then I knew that there was a good-looking girl in the ward, and so <laughs> when I went to church, I saw her again, and I was actually blessing the sacrament that week, very first week in church, and there was a lot of good-looking girls in that ward anyway, so I was nervous, and I screwed up the sacrament prayer twice and my face was red when I was standing up <laughs> and uh, I guess she thought that was cute because it didn't 
affect her not going out with me when I asked for the first time. <clears throat> okay, so our senior year, we started dating and we went to the senior prom together. And then on our very last day of school, he told me that he had fallen in love with me. And so when he said that, I just knew that we were going to have a future together. And so he went on a mission for our church. He went to Ireland and I waited for him faithfully for two years. And when he got home, all he really had to do was get, my picture get, taken. get our picture, our engagement pictures taken for the the wedding invitation and then after he returned home from his mission we were married a month and a half later on september 15th 1990 so it's been <laughs> a few years <laughs> so um shortly it's about five minutes five months after we were married we moved here to burns oregon because his grandpa wanted doug to take over the ranch and so it was going to be like a trial year to see if we liked this kind of thing and we did and we've been here ever since so we have been in Burns for what 30 32 years and we've raised six children and we have seven grandchildren and uh, so we've had a, a great life together and I'll have to say that I always felt like my, I've had a really good life. And this is something I haven't shared before. I hope it's okay now, but I always kind of thought to myself, you know, I've had a pretty good life, a pretty easy life. And you hear of other people who have experienced great trials in their life and, and um, seen how they've gotten through it. And just in the back of my mind, not ever wishing for a huge trial, but just thinking that, you know, if I want to progress and, and be where I want to be after, after I die, then I just wanted to know that I have given it my all in this life. I don't know if that makes any sense, but anyway, and then when, when this came along with what happened to Doug, then this was truly the hardest thing that I've ever gone through and the two of us together have ever gone through. And, and so I just thought like, and not, not that I won't have any more trials. I'm not saying that, but this was our first great trial together. And, and just like, you know, I, I, I wanted to share that a lot of people, when they have a huge trial, they, think to themselves or say out loud, why me, why us? And I guess I kind of felt like, why not? You know, everybody has to have trials in life. And why should I be excluded from them? Why should we be excluded from them? And so I just like felt, well, well, why not? Why not us? And so um, this whole thing grew us closer to our savior and closer to each other than then so I, I am grateful for that aspect of this trial that we've grown closer yeah yeah um what were you gonna say doug i was gonna just jump back a little bit about her waiting for me for two years I, yeah uh, 
I was really nervous about that, as you can tell. Well, not your audience, but you can see her. She's beautiful. And I yes. thought, there's no way two years she's going to be there when I get home. So <clears throat> I might get <laughs> a little emotional. But <clears throat> I was praying that I would be <clears throat> assured that she would be there. And so when I went through the temple for the first time, I uh, was going up the stairs. It was in Seattle. Portland hadn't been built yet. And uh, I was going up the stairs and I could see outside and I saw her <coughs> out in the garden near the temple, sitting on a bench, glowing. And I knew she was going to be there. <laughs> Sorry. I knew she was going to be there when I got home. So that was the first time that I really felt like Heavenly Father was in charge of things and looking over me. Oh, that's so beautiful. <laughs> what a love story. So let's go. Thank you for sharing that, Doug. And thank you, Tamara. Let's go back to this time. So we're in COVID, we are all in the state of Oregon. So there's a lot of different rules, regulations. So let's just, you guys start from when everything started happening and just tell your story and I'll pop in with some questions here and there. Okay. So when COVID started, um, <clears throat> to me, that whole thing with COVID and getting the vaccine was something that I don't know that was the that was the most difficult thing that I've ever had to experience as far as I, I didn't take it lightly like I I put so much prayer and fasting into whether or not we should get the vaccine and I am, I've always been such an obedient person. Like if I'm told not to do something, I won't do it. I, I have always done what was asked of me as far as like church and stuff. And so <clears throat> I've always been obedient and compliant, but every time that I thought about, should I get the vaccine? Should we get the vaccine? It never made sense to me. Like it was just like, no, 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 it does not make sense. And like, I don't know what it is, but, but I just felt very strongly not to get the vaccine. And I know other people got the vaccine. They felt fine about it and all of that. And again, it was such a struggle with me because like I said, I've always been so complete compliant and obedient. And then this subject comes up, whether or not to get the vaccine and all of that. And um, I really felt like I put in the effort to hear him. The, the prophet has asked us to hear him. And I really, I know that I put in the effort to hear him. And so we chose not to get the vaccine. And For me, it wasn't that big of a struggle. I didn't, I'm not as faithful as Tamara. <clears throat> if you tell me that I have to do something, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> so, that was all, all it was for me in all reality. 
So, okay, so then we got COVID in September of 2021, and I wasn't that sick. I was sick for like a week, but Doug is the one that got really, really sick. And his was the coughing and not being able to get enough oxygen. And it was getting really bad. And because I was still sick, his dad, Grant, took him up to our local hospital here. And the doctor that was on call actually, in so many words, turned him away because he knew that he didn't have he didn't get the vaccine. And so he basically asked Doug, well, what do you want me to do for you? And he was cold. He wasn't helpful. He wasn't friendly. The only thing he did was give you a bag of IV of something and yeah, just electrolytes basically. and sent him home. And then the very next day was our 32nd, no, 31st anniversary. September 15th and he was so sick and he had that little oxygen meter thing on uh, I had it on his finger and it was really really dropping below it was safe. yeah dropping below the safe reading and so I was like I knew that he needed to go in so Doug's dad came to the house and and to clarify, Doug's dad had already had COVID, and so that's why he's the one that took Doug up to the hospital. So he took him up to our local hospital. And I wasn't going to go except that I have a friend that worked there, and he was on call that night. So he told me, come in. I will guarantee you're not going to get turned away. Right, right. So another thing I wanted to share is, so while Doug was at the hospital with his dad that evening, and Again, it was our anniversary, so it was an anniversary that I would like to forget, <laughs> but we didn't celebrate, needless to say, and uh, anyway, so I was sitting on the couch, and I just happened to be on my phone watching an Instagram story of one of the girls that I follow who was telling us about her father who had just passed away from COVID, and she was telling her followers what not to do, what to do. And one of those things that she was urging people to do who were in the situation that she was put in was, was um, be an advocate for your loved one who's in the hospital. And she had a terrible experience where her and her family were not allowed to be advocates for her father. And um, she, her Insta story was entitled COVID didn't kill him. And basically it was some protocols that they do in the hospital at that time that she felt strongly were not helpful and actually possibly contributed to his death. And so one of the things that she was strongly urging us was to don't let your loved one get, it's called remdesivir and don't let your loved one get that. So that was just like fresh in my mind that evening. And I was like, okay, like, so in the middle of the night, so this was September 16th. 
So in the middle of the night, I got a phone call from the doctor that was on, on call. And she said, we are going to be life flighting your husband to Bend, which is two hours from us, to a bigger hospital, St. Charles Medical Center. And why don't you come on in and spend a few hours with him before they life flight him? So my father-in-law came and picked me up and I was in the room with Doug. And right when I got in there, they were hooking up a bag of something to Doug. And I just asked the doctor what it was. And she said, oh, it's from Disavere. And I said, oh, I, and it was just like my jaw dropped kind of like, oh my goodness, I just learned about this. And so I politely uh, told her that we would like to decline it. And Doug also said, we'll take our chances. And so we declined the remdesivir. She, which I'm very grateful for, respected our wishes. And she said what she believed to, that it would be a good thing. But then I just felt like, and after listening to that girl on Instagram, I just felt like, no, 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 no. And so we declined it. <clears throat> and there was also a nurse in the room at the time after the doctor walked out and she turned around and she told me that it was good that I was advocating for my husband and that she, anyway, she was just very respectful of, of, of us. And so I felt like I was advocating for what we wanted. And I felt like the doctor and nurse that night were very respectful of our decision and um, I'm also grateful that we didn't have that same doctor as before, the one that turned Doug away the day before, because these ones were so kind, they were so nice, and really throughout this whole journey that Doug went through in the hospital, we had nothing but wonderful, good doctors and nurses and physical therapists. We didn't have any bad experiences, and for that, I am so grateful, because that would have been really difficult when you're in the situation we were to have someone be mean to you or treat you rude because you're trying to make your choices that you strongly believe in. And so I was grateful that we, we had kind doctors. So, so Doug, how were you feeling when you were at the hospital in Burns? What was it that made them feel like air flight was the priority? So they took me and did an x-ray on my chest. And I don't know, I didn't know what this meant at first, but when they looked at my lungs, they said that my lungs were whited out. And I guess that's what it shows when you can't, when your lungs are just really bad with pneumonia. And if they're white, it means that they're not getting any blood flow through them. And so, yes, he had COVID pneumonia. So it wasn't just COVID, oh, okay. COVID pneumonia. pneumonia yeah. 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 Wow. Well, that's why they sent me to bed. So were you able, I mean, were you coherent and talking about just in a lot of pain and pressure in your chest? Yeah, it was just, I could talk and I could, I knew what was going on the whole time when I was there. And uh, yeah, it was just basically, I couldn't breathe real good and my cough was horrible okay so, so then since that night 
I did not get to see him because of all of the COVID rules. I did not get to see him until almost a month later. And I had, when all of this was happening, people were asking me, are you sure you can't go see him? Are you sure? And it's like, I know that I can't like, and I just thought I'm not going to waste my time worrying about something I have no control over. And it, it was very, very hard for him to be two hours away. He was in the hospital in the progressive care unit for a week and a half. And then after that, I received a call in the middle of the night and I just happened to hear my phone because I didn't have it on. I think it just vibrated a little bit, but I answered the phone and it was the doctor who said to me, uh, we're going to have to put him in the ICU on the ventilator. And they put Doug on the phone too. So it told me that he knew what was going to be happening to him. And it, that I had okayed it basically. Yeah. So and, do you uh, remember Doug that, do you, do you remember that week and a half in progressive care? Yeah. Yeah. That was, I mean, I was awake the whole time, and I remember I was doing Sudoku, however you say that, puzzles. Those puzzles. <laughs> and I would lay on my stomach, and because they told me that laying on my stomach would be better for my lungs, and so I lay there and do puzzles all day long, and bored out of my mind, and also coughing constantly, and I could I remember hearing the beeps of my oxygen levels. And if they started beeping too much, I knew I wasn't getting enough. So I would adjust my oxygen mask and try to breathe real deep and get as much in there as I could. Cause I knew if I wasn't getting enough that I was gonna probably put up, be put on a ventilator. So I, would, I was working at it really hard trying not to have to go on that ventilator. And pretty soon I was coughing blood up. And then I knew things were getting bad. So. And I think it's too, it's really important that you share, both of you can share this. You guys are fit, healthy people. Like yeah. Doug, tell everybody that's listening a little bit about, I mean, both of you, like what, how healthy and fit you are. So I've been um, in sports or competition my whole life. I, that's one of the things that I loved about growing up was sports. And so I took everything. I, I wrestled, I played football, I did track. And on the side, I hunted and fished and hiked and outdoors all the time. I grew up watching Rocky movies. And so he was my idol growing up. <laughs> A lot of... <clears throat> My life lessons have been taught to me by my uncles and Rocky and my dad. And uh, it was always to be tough, always to be, you know, fighting and looking for challenges and facing them head on and growing through all the things that you can do physically or mentally challenging. So I loved that kind of stuff anyway. And I tried to stay in shape my whole life. I had two boys that uh, kept me young and I coached 
football and wrestling for years, ever since they were four and five years old. So for my whole life, I've been involved in sports and healthy and, and energetic. And um, just a couple of months before he got sick with COVID, there was an arm wrestling competition in Bend, Oregon that he entered and tell them how you did. So I entered two different arm wrestling. Um, <laughs> there were classes. There was an older guy class, like it was 40 or 40 and up. Yeah. And I was 53 at the time. So I entered that one. And then the open, which 52. I was 52 at the time. Anyway, I uh, also entered the open one, which had all ages in it. And uh, I got second in the open. I got beat by a kid from California that was massive. <laughs> <laughs> he looked like Vin Diesel. Oh, wow. Oh, my. Yeah, so sure. what were you going to say to I, I won the uh, old man guy thing. <laughs> wow. There was no weight limit on that one. So the guy that I arm wrestled in the finals weighed twice as much as me, but I beat him two out of three. How yes. on earth did you learn those arm wrestling skills? <laughs> so my uncles and grandpa all were arm wrestlers and showed me some tricks when I was young. And my uncle Dennis, who was one of my favorite uncles, um, and I have great uncles, so to be my favorite is pretty good. But uh, anyway, he was the family champion because we had a family championship because so many of us did it. And he had the title for years, clear up until he was probably in his 50s. And finally, a, a younger son-in-law in the family had beat him that he taught how to arm wrestle and he beat him. And before my mission, I got to arm wrestle that guy and I beat him right before I left to go to Ireland. So I had the family championship for my whole life since then. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it, it shows you and I, I want you I want you to tell these things because you know I can see you I've watched kind of your life through social media because you know Tamara and I met and bend but yeah. um you had no like comor comorbidities like you were a fit healthy man yeah and so so when they're like calling you in the night Tamara and they're saying we're going to put him on a ventilator what were some of your thoughts and feelings well, when I got that news and it was in the middle of the night. And so it's like, I knew that most people wouldn't know about it until the next morning. But I, um, the first thing I did, or the first thing that I thought was, I, there's nothing more I can do. I can't be with him. Like, I just felt completely helpless. And so um, I always get emotional when I talk about this, but I, um, what I thought to do, the only thing that I could do was I said a prayer and I prayed specifically for these 
I called on special men that we had both known that had passed away and his uncles, my grandpas, his grandpas, close friends that had passed away and I called on them and in my prayer, I actually envisioned each one of them and I out loud said their names and I asked them to come forward and be with him during this time and lay their hands on his head and give him a blessing. And I just pictured each one of their faces and I asked them to do that because I was completely helpless and I thought I had gotten everybody like thought, am I missing anybody and then I thought I think I got everybody well I didn't sleep very much that night but the little sleep that I got I had a dream that I was telling somebody that I I said this prayer and in that dream, Doug's uncle Bruce came to my dream. And I know it was more than just your regular dream because I know I had forgotten to say his name out loud. I had forgotten to ask him to come forth and give Doug a blessing. And I know that he wanted to be, to be asked. And so he came to me, I know, in my dream and asked me to remember him. And so I woke up and then I did the same thing. And I, I said a prayer out loud and I called his, his name out loud. And one thing about uncle Bruce is he, of, of all of your uncles, he was probably the most, um, what would you say? Uh, righteous for, for one thing. And, and selfless and just yeah, a wonderful, fun. wonderful man. Always fun to go to Uncle Bruce's house. And, and I know, I knew then that he didn't want to be forgotten about. And and so uh, I called him to also give him a blessing too. But the there was, oh, Doug's dad and then my daughter were the first ones because I sent out a text message and said, I don't know who's going to get this, but this is what's going on. And so that was, that was really hard. And that was the first time that I felt like truly, truly help, helpless and that I needed to call on a higher power, higher powers to, to help, to help us out. So. Wow. So Doug, when they took you into the ICU and put you on the ventilator, do you remember that? I barely remember that because I think they were giving me stuff to calm, calm me down because before that they had put this thing on my on my face to that was kind of a force air into you. It wasn't the ventilator, but it was maybe a rebreather or something. And I was already claustrophobic and had torn that off a couple times. And so I think I was pretty well sedated by the time I got the ventilator put on and how long did they can you explain i mean i think we've all heard on the news or through reading articles about the ventilator but what exactly it breathes for you correct yeah yes and so he was 
obviously completely out of it. And so what they would do is they would have him be on his stomach sometimes, and then they would flip him and have him be on his back. At this time, or actually before he was put in the ICU, you know, this was something I didn't think that it would become as serious as it did. And we just figured, oh, we'll, we'll get over this COVID just fine. And, and when he was life-flighted to bend, then that's when we thought, you know, other people, people were asking and we just thought, wow, we need to probably let people know what's going on. And so my daughter created an account on Caring Bridge and she was living with us at the time, which was such a blessing because when the doctors would call and give us updates, it was all I could do just to listen to what they were telling me. They would use technical terms. They would tell me what medications they're trying out on him. And it was just so much. And then trying to keep my emotions in check while I'm hearing all of this. And so my daughter, when we would get a call, she would sit right next to me. She would have her phone and she would basically just be typing everything up really fast. And I would have the, my phone on speaker and so she could hear as well. And so she would write things up and then she would post on Caring Bridge the daily updates and tell everyone what was happening that day. And then she would ask people to we would ask people to pray and fast for him. And then she would, at the end of her daily update, she would tell people what they could pray and fast for specifically. <coughs> um, so whatever it was at the time, please pray that whatever. Um, so I know that that was very, very helpful. I It was so helpful for me to have my daughter there and to have all of the support that I did. And, and when more people found out about what was going on, I would receive phone calls, I would receive cards in the mail, encouragement texts, and, and um, so many good friends here in Burns were so helpful, brought us dinners. Um, I was trying to paint our dining room chairs during this time. My daughter was trying to trying to help me and started painting them. And then when we got the, the bad news, um, even, I guess I'm ahead of myself a little bit, but I would get calls from the doctor and they would tell me that things were looking really bad. And then I tried to go back out into our shop and paint the chairs and I couldn't, I couldn't, I tried and I couldn't. And I had some good friends here that came over and they finished painting the chairs for me and just took care of that for me. And so that was such a blessing. We had so many kind people that prayed for us, fasted for us, put Doug's name in the temple, not even, I mean, outside of the country. You said in Africa, there were yeah. temples My in parents Africa. served their mission in Africa and they had friends that were following the Caring Bridge story. And so I would be put on the prayer list in African temples. at the temples. So, 
So we have my parents, my parents put your name. They work in the Medford temple. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you. And, and so, and I truly did feel the prayers of all of the many people who were fasting for us. And obviously people that we didn't even know personally, and we're so grateful. And we know, I know without a shadow of a doubt that it was because of everyone's prayers and putting his, our names in the temple and fasting for us that, that that's why he was able to pull through. And we just are. And it came at a great time because I was kind of questioning prayer a little bit. I had two daughters that had both struggling with miscarriages and we always prayed that that would not happen and sure enough it happened twice and since then it's happened a couple times too but I know now that just to keep praying for it it built my testimony back up stronger than ever about prayer yeah, definitely. It in, definitely this whole thing just definitely increased our faith in the power of prayer. Um, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so, Doug, you after they put you on the ventilator, how long were you on the ventilator? And Two kind weeks. of share that process. It was he was on the ventilator for a week and a half, and. During this time, the, the nurse that was on call would, it was usually every evening and they would, we would get to FaceTime Doug. So they would call us and we would get to FaceTime him. And they would, they told us that he should be able to hear you. And so we just, when we got to FaceTime, we would encourage him. We would tell him Rocky quotes. We would tell him to keep fighting, to not give up. And the first few times that we did it, the the nurse would let us know, well, I just want to prepare you for what you're going to see. And, you know, his eyes were shut. He had lots of tubes coming out of his body. And so that was, it was upsetting to see that. But at the same time, it was also comforting for us because none of us could physically be there by his side. It was comforting for us to still be able to communicate with him, to, to be as close as we possibly could to him, despite all of the, the COVID rules at the time. But do so you remember would, that Doug, do you remember the calls? So when I first woke up, I don't remember, I didn't remember a lot of that, but it was like, Throughout me coming a little bit back more into the world, I would there would be things that I would dream about, and I could, and then I would remember, hey, I remember somebody saying this, and and it was the things that they had been talking to me about, and so yeah, I almost everything now that I've been you know healthy, all those things have come back to me since then, and I remembered it. Even my granddaughter's voices. And those were some of the things that helped remind me that I needed to pull through because 
I needed to see them grow up. And uh, so those kind of things really helped, even though I, you know, at the time, I'm sure I wasn't processing anything, but I remembered afterwards that I had had those experiences and those were some of the things that, like the Rocky quotes and my family saying things like, um, they told us that you were gonna die, but uh, we said, well, those doctors don't know Doug. And those kind of things made me realize there's no way I can let go. And when we would get to FaceTime him when he was in the hospital, we would know approximately what time we would get to do that. And so we would have family come over and be in the living room with me. And so we would even pass the phone around and, and everyone could take a turn just saying something uplifting to him and letting him know that he's loved and to keep fighting. And so, yeah, we definitely looked forward to our times that we could see him and, and communicate with him. So what happened after the ventilator? What, what went on? Okay. So he was on the ventilator for a week and a half. And at that time I got a call from the doctor and that was when I was trying to paint my dining room chairs. And he said to me, he said, your husband is very, very sick and he has a very, very low chance of survival. And those words have stuck with me because those were very grave words to hear. I, that was the first time that I, I thought to myself, wow, I, I might be a widow and, and um, yeah, that was really, really difficult. And I, I didn't know what to think after that. And my daughter made another post on Caring Bridge asking people to pray like never before and fast and so many people reached out and that was really helpful and they also had told me his lungs are very very whited out and lungs are not supposed to be whited out <laughs> and that's very serious when it is and um anyway so I wanted to tell about how so on October 11th, that's actually, I'm getting ahead of myself again. So we were told, um, so as, as they were pulling him out of sedation from being on the ventilator, they noticed that he had suffered a major stroke <laughs> and they also discovered that he had a hole in his heart. And so they were going to do surgery repair the hole in his heart and then also in his groin they were going to place a filter in to prevent any more blood clots from going up to your heart they and said that hole in my heart probably saved my life because it made the made it so that the clot could pass through my heart not lodge somewhere in my heart and give me a heart attack or it would either do that or go into my lungs and kill me right there and then and uh it passed through that hole and went instead to my head 
and gave me the stroke. So I feel blessed that a stroke's better than killing me. Right. <laughs> and and one thing I wanted to add, like when I was contemplating whether or not to get the COVID vaccine and how I felt so strongly against it. And it usually, and, and this is what I have said before that lots of times that when one spouse feels a certain way about something, the the other spouse will agree. And um, so we both chose not to get the vaccine, but I don't know. It just makes me wonder now and, and I will never know, but maybe my strong feelings against getting the vaccine was because if he would have maybe without hole in his heart that he had that we didn't know about, maybe that could have caused a problem worse than a stroke. And so, like I said, we'll never know, but I'm grateful. And when he had the stroke, he was in the hospital. They were able to take care of things right away. They were able to he, uh, sew up that, close the hole in your heart and put the filter in. And, and so With medication, they were able to stop the bleed in my head or whatever was going on there. So how long had the stroke been going on? Did they literally catch it at the very beginning or had it been? I don't think so. No, I think it may be what it was like 24 hours. They, I remember when they told me, they said it, it probably happened in the last 24 hours. I think that's what they told me. And so I'm grateful that they were able to catch it when they did. And of course, at that time, we didn't know the severity of it. They just said it was a major stroke, but we didn't know if it would, you know, truly how bad it would affect him. So during that time, when they fixed it, they fixed it on October 11th. And the rules at St. Charles Medical Center was that in order to see a patient that the visitor would have to have the COVID shot and show proof of it. So at that time, when I learned that, it was like, well, obviously I'm going to get the COVID vaccine so that I can see my husband. And I um, didn't, I didn't care which one I got. I didn't do any research. I just knew that, okay, it made sense now to me it's okay to get the COVID shot because it meant that I would get to go see my husband. And so I got it and I didn't have any ill effects from it. And, uh, when I was considered fully vaccinated, I was able to go visit him, which was the same day that he had the hole in his heart repaired and the filter placed. And so my daughter Mackenzie and I, we were driving to bend on our way to go see Doug for the first time in almost a month. And one thing I wanted to share is when we came into Bend on the side of the road there, there was a billboard and it said, expect miracles. And like, I knew that that was like for me to see. And I was just so grateful for it. I don't know what company it was, but it said, expect miracles. I even took a picture of it because it was like, wow. And it was just like such a positive thing, like spec miracles. Yes. And, and, um, that's definitely what, what we've had is more than one miracle. And so that day I was able to go see him and he was back. What in was the it like when you, what was that like when you first saw him? 
it was, it was, it was wonderful, but it was also strange because he looked so different. I just remember going into his room, the room, the light was off. He was, I was being fed through a tube. So yeah. I had lost he, lots of weight. Yeah, he, I mean, I, I guess when I think back to the way he looked, he just looked gray, but he was alive and he was just, his eyes were open. He was just looking up at the ceiling and it was hard for him. He lost with the stroke, his peripheral vision on his left side was affected. And so he would always be looking to his right. And so I would have to tell him, look at me, turn your head. But it was, it was, I don't know. It, it was upsetting to, to see my husband that way, going from someone who just a couple months before had won an arm wrestling competition to seeing him the way he looked then was really, really hard. But at the same time, I was so grateful to, to be physically with him. And I was able to visit him and we took turns, different family members came and would spend a day with him in the hospital. His mom, his dad, one visitor, at one, a time. one visitor a day. So that was, that was it. And so and it had to be the same person. It didn't have to be this. Well, for that day, it was only one person per day. And so I, as badly as I would have loved to spend every day with him, it was also important to share him with his parents and his siblings and some friends. And we um, didn't have to get a hotel while we were there, which was such a blessing. We had some good friends uh, in one of the wards in Bend that had a few vacant rooms and let us stay there. And it was so nice and they were so welcoming and just made us feel at home. And we were so grateful for their hospitality and, and their kindness. And, and so, yeah, people were able, family members were able to come and spend a day with him. And then their job at the end of their day was to send an update to our daughter, Madeline, who would then post that on the Caring Bridge site. So it was, it was their takeaway of the day and they would update us on how Doug was doing and lots of times their personal experience, how that, how that was for them. And it was, so it was really, I was grateful that that family members were able to visit him and, and have that special little bonding time with, with Doug. And I know that he loved it. He really appreciated it. Do you remember some of those visits, Doug, and some of the feelings you had? Yeah, I remembered almost everyone that came and visited, you know, and I, I remember things that we talked about and just being able to connect with everybody again was wonderful. Um, I also had, you know, when I was under, I, I had weird things that would happen and uh, some spiritual things and some scary things at the same time. And I was going to talk a little bit about that if that doesn't bother anybody. That, no, please do. Please share them. Okay. So um, I remember I had, um, so 
when I was in the hospital, one of the hardest things to deal with was the bathroom and knowing that I couldn't, you know, just go to the bathroom like I always could. And it was embarrassing and it was a struggle. And so some of my worst thoughts and worst nights were worrying about that. And uh, one of my uncles who I have a really funny relationship with, we did, you know, kind of gross things to each other all the time. He was the one who came and helped me through the bathroom experiences. Probably the only one that I would feel comfortable doing that with. And well, he had only been, he passed away, what, a year before you yeah, got sick? He had passed away a year before I got sick. And so that was my uncle Dennis and uh, also the arm wrestling champion for years. And uh, yeah, so, and I also remember um, a friend of mine that uh, I know she called on that would often tell me, you can't come, not yet. There's still things you need to do on earth. That was my friend Jay Wing, whose kids I coached in football, wrestling, and have been a part of my life for ever since he passed away. And so um, I remember those kind of things were really helpful during my, I, I don't know if I was dead when those things were happening, but I know that I was close. And uh, there was another one that was kind of scary at the time, but turned out to be good. But there was a lady that came to me and I felt like she was in charge a little bit and told me just to give up. You fought hard enough. Nobody's gonna fault you for, you know, going, going on with your life somewhere else. And, and really telling me basically to be done with this and it'll be a lot better for you. And I remember my mom and my wife coming and telling her to get out of here. So ran her off so that I, she's, they told her that I wasn't raised like that and that he's not giving up. You need to be on your way. And uh, that was kind of a scary moment. And I knew I was close then to giving up, but I didn't. And it was because of family members. And I don't know if that was things that I imagined, but they were real to me at the time. Did you, Doug, when you were having those times that were just dark and difficult, how did you find the strength to combat the negative thoughts and feelings and influences that were there? I mean, a lot of you... it had to do with my upbringing, you know, <clears throat> and some people think it's kind of cold if your parents just tell you to get tough. But for me, that was the way I needed to be raised. 
and uh, I've tried to raise my kids that way. And so getting tough has always been a thing in my family and, and my life that I've always, you know, no matter what, that always works for me. <laughs> Even after when I came out and I knew that I was, you know, going to have this challenge. And I knew that I was going to have this challenge. That's another thing I wanted to touch on. Um, I, I was given the choice by, again, somebody who I felt was in charge that told me, you know, your life might be tough. You might be, if you were going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of your life, what would you choose? Would you choose to live or do you want to give up and life will be so much easier? And I made the decision then that I wanted to live. I had an aunt who had had a stroke when she was 19. She spent the rest of her life in a wheelchair and uh, she was, I was really close to her. She grew up here on a ranch and she was my aunt that I would, I could do anything. You know, she played cards with us and she came to all my football games when I was playing here in Burns. And I remember thinking that, you know, she didn't have a bad life. She was in a wheelchair, but she had good moments and had a lot of fun. And who am I to say that her life wasn't good enough that I couldn't live it. So if I'm in a wheelchair, I'm okay. Wow. And I chose to live. And they, I knew that if that choice was gonna be the harder thing to do, and I welcomed it as long as I could live. So I knew I was probably not gonna be completely whole, but I would rather be this than not be here. So, and to me, I don't know. I've, I've thought about this a lot because people ask me, you know, do you ever get angry with God? And I think to myself, well, I could be, but at the same time, God knows that I do not like to just not have a challenge. And so maybe this is God's way of helping me get through the life that I have left with some challenge to to overcome. I probably am not going to be able to play, you know play football again, which I wouldn't be able to anyway. So that was probably one of the reasons that I entered the arm wrestling contest because I you know I had been out of competition for years and I was just stirring something in my gut, stirring what making me want to do something that was you know competition. Yeah. Well, now I have real competition. And it's probably going to be the, a lot tougher battle than I've ever had in a football or wrestling match. Or, and so I'm kind of welcoming it. Not to say I did, I wish I wasn't better, but at the same time, I can deal with this. Yeah. So, did the stroke, it affected your left side? Can yeah. you share with, can you share with everybody kind of what the effects of the stroke are for your body. So basically you could almost draw a line right down the middle of me. And this side feels numb and a little bit less feeling. 
and I don't have control over all of my movements on my left hand and my foot curls and I try to flatten it out and I, I, I can't move my toes at all yet. And I barely, when I was in the hospital, that was one thing that was kind of a shock when I actually started moving my leg. It was when his mother was visiting him that day. And so she just, she videoed it. She just was so excited because we just, you know, we didn't know that early on if he would regain use of his left side. And while he was there in the hospital, he was able to lift up his leg a few times. And his mom was so excited. It was like such a joyous occasion. It even made one of my physical therapists tear up when he saw that I was <laughs> able to move the leg. He said, well, now we know that you're not going to be, you know, stuck in a wheelchair. There's that means that you'll probably be able to walk again. So do you need to use a cane or a walker um, right now? I've got I've gotten to where I don't need the cane anymore unless I don't have a brace on my foot. There's a brace that I wear that fits right into my shoe. PFO. Yeah. And if I have that on, I can walk, you know, wherever I want to within reason i can't hike up any mountains or anything but that's coming <laughs> <laughs> okay so i'm i want i want to at the end find out even more like now uh, ha having come home but i want to ask you before we get to that you're you're in the hospital they take you off that ventilator you've had the stroke they put you into rehabilitation and you had a goal. So could you tell everybody about the goal to get home? Like what, what was, what did that look like for you guys? Yeah. So they, first of all, they were able to kind of rush me into a physical therapy. They called it the, the downstairs. If we can get you downstairs, it'll be better for you. And so because I had progressed the way I had, I mean, I was being carried around in a sling from place to place. A Hoyer lift. That was, and I should tell about that. Like that was really, really hard to, to see that the days that I would spend with him in the hospital and they would transfer him from his bed to a chair that they would have him sit in, in the room with a, with a Hoyer lift. And I didn't even know what one of those. Can you tell everybody what that is, Tamara? It's basically a sling that is on a machine that will pull it up they hook him they hook him carry you like in a bag yeah and so they would they would um get that that sling underneath him while he's laying on the hospital bed and get it all hooked up and secure and then a machine would lift him up and move him and put him in a chair in a chair or in a wheelchair or in a and and not a bath, but a chair that you could take in a shower. Yeah. And so it was, it was hard. And I think it was also sometimes hard on the nurses that were on duty, different things. And maybe they were with me there, maybe a little embarrassed. And I would, there was some situations where I just said to them that, what would I say? 
it happens. That's what, <laughs> that's what, I don't know why I forgot for a second, but that's just one of the things that our family says when certain things like it happens, it happens. And I said that to the nurse and I think that maybe helped her feel a little more comfortable. Like I wasn't like judging anybody. Yeah. And, um, but that was really, really hard to see my once strong, muscular, independent husband be lifted up in a Hoyer lift. That was really, really hard. So I went from that to finally being able to kind of pull myself up to a thing that was almost like what Dr. Lecter had to be wheeled around on. And uh, like a flat board that's yeah. tilted. And I could move around the room on that. And then I could pull myself up on my knees to another thing called a Sarah Steady, and it was on wheels. Well, that was when you were in the rehab clinic. Okay. But basically, I went from that to the that and then then the wheelchair and that was a powered wheelchair and i because of my left peripheral and not being able to really focus on anything it's almost like you can see the end of your nose if you concentrate on it and i could see everything on the left but i really had to concentrate on it and so I would bump into walls if I wasn't paying a really close attention. And uh, I hated trying to drive that thing. The electric wheelchair. At yeah. first, yeah. Yeah. But so you're just telling that he so quickly progressed. And the head of the inpatient rehab at St. Charles Medical Center, her name is Josie Fitzsimmons. And she said, I want to get him as soon as possible into rehab. And she, told us that out of all of her years of being a the head of physical therapy that she had never come across somebody like Doug who had progressed as quickly as he had and so she was just so anxious to get him into the inpatient rehab and she I think pulled some strings but it was it was such a blessing and she was wonderful and like I said before everyone at St. Charles was wonderful and they were angels and um so yeah when he got into the inpatient rehab he was there for three weeks and they had him doing physical therapy occupational therapy and speech therapy for an hour each day so three different therapies and then for the an hour each day rest of the time i would kind of work on things that i could work on by myself whether it was moving my leg or moving my arm or just any kind of little exercise I was allowed to do, they wouldn't let me get out of bed. So I had to figure things out. But uh, anyway, so they came and asked me if what was my goal in, in order to get out, what time, or, and I said, I want to be home before Thanksgiving. And they looked at me and kind of like, Oh, well, you know, that's a great goal, but doubtful. I could see it in their faces. They were doubtful. And I said, and I'm going to walk out of here. <laughs> so that was my goal. And I worked, you know, as hard as I could to try to get there. And I worked on the stairs whenever I was in physical therapy, climbing up, you know, three sets of stairs, just three stairs, basically. 
but I got to where I could do that. And uh, at home, everybody was preparing the house for me to. They said he's probably going to be in a wheelchair. You're going to have to make your house wheelchair accessible. And so they built a ramp. Everyone back home was trying to figure out now is this doorway wide enough to fit a wheelchair through? And, and he had his buddies build a wheelchair ramp um, getting to our back door. And he, so the house was ready for me to be in a wheelchair, but I was not <laughs> going to settle for that. And uh, when the time came, I was able to, well, the protocol, they wheeled me to the out to the car, but I stood up and climbed into the pickup. They also told me I probably would need a little car to sit down in. And I said, well, I, everybody wants to ride home with me, so we're gonna probably bring my pickup. And the physical therapist kind of laughed at me and he's, you know, I don't think you can climb up into a pickup, but I did. And we came home in the pickup and uh, when we came, to Burns, the streets were li lined with people, balloons and signs, and basically I was the parade <laughs> coming into Burns. And the schools had let the kids out all on the sidewalk, and all, every school we went by, all the kids were out cheering me on as I came home. So yes, when the when everyone knew the date that he would be released from the hospital, which was November 23rd, 2021. And so we had some friends here put together a um, basically a parade. Um, and Doug during this time was uh, being referred as Harney County's Miracle Man. And so that that title just just stuck. And so I had the principals from the different schools call me and ask if it was okay when we drove through town if we drove past each school and the kids would be outside and um they just wanted to to see if we would drive by the schools and boy when we entered burns i'm telling you we had there were people on both sides of the main street cheering and we rolled down our windows and I was videoing and just we were crying it just it was such a an amazing thing to witness to be a part of and we were so grateful for everybody's love and everybody's support it was amazing and Doug was, you had been I, I didn't know if you were still at that time you had been on the school board right yeah so you had this for your 15 family years. 15 years 13 Oh, 13. Sorry. Yeah. So you had had this relationship with the administrators and teachers and EAs and school yeah. staff. Not to mention I had coached lots of those kids from the time they were little in wrestling. I coached the little kid wrestling program we have for quite a few years. So I knew lots and lots of kids. It's so touching. So what was it like to pull up to your house after two, over two months of not being there? Yeah, it was amazing, actually. And I saw the wheelchair ramp and thought, 
uh oh, <laughs> no wheelchair for me. And so I uh, just held on to the rail and walked into my house. And there were signs in my house and welcome home. You got a lot of family. And all my family was coming home for Thanksgiving. So I had lots of people here when I got lots home. Lots of family. That was the biggest turnout for Thanksgiving we've ever had. Yeah. But we have 30 some people. I don't remember, but it was quite a bit. Yeah, that was yeah, that was amazing. Yeah. And I also so wanted to yeah. Oh, I so I was in Bend for three weeks while he was in the, the rehab. And again, um we have some friends here who had a little camper that they took to Bend, got it all set up for me in the parking lot right there. And it, it would have been in walking distance, but because I was there all day long, I didn't want to walk back to the camper at night, but it was, it was still safe. Everything it was just right there for me. And it was so convenient to be able to wake up in the morning and just head right there. Just, it just took me a few seconds to get into the inpatient rehab and spend the day with him. And we were so grateful for that. It was such a blessing. And the kindness yeah. of human beings, huh? There's and so that, and that's the thing it's, it's, you hear on the news all the time, all of the negative things and all of the bad things that are going on in the world. And this whole thing was just such a reminder of the goodness of people that there's still such good people in the world who are so kind and so loving. And if we focus, if we can focus on that, um, I, I think there's just a lot more hope in the world when we can focus on all of the, the good things that just to not give up on people because there are so many good people in the world. Yeah. And we really felt that. Now, was there... I had lots of people donate money to help me out with my medical bills, which was amazing as well. It was, it was so humbling and so amazing because we didn't know, I mean, this was a very expensive yeah. hospital stay and the type of insurance we have, we were told, I'm afraid you're going to max out. And so we had a lot of tender mercies and it, that money that people donated was so appreciated because I don't know what we would have done otherwise without it, because it was, there was a lot of medical expenses. And so we were just so grateful. It's so many kind people that donated money to help. There was a family whose son that I coached in football and they had what, what the, I don't remember what they called it, but they have since made a oh, yeah. kind of a charity thing that they've Operation been Operation Harney County. Yeah, Operation Harney County, and they may raise money for any family that's in need. And they had an auction and raised quite a bit of money for me. That that was there. I was we were the family that the year. recipient for the. Yeah, it was during Christmas time and they brought over an envelope of cash and some gift cards and it was, it was so wonderful. Just wow. so, so humbling and we were so grateful. 
Um, I, I, I'm, I'm th- trying to remember, didn't you have a nurse that sang to you too? In the okay, hospital? Yeah. Can you yeah. share that story? So when my mom came and um, it was the day my mom came and this nurse had come into my room and was talking to me and she told me that she was with me during the time when I was the most sick. And she said, I would sing to you in Spanish and I remember hearing her voice, but, and I could, even though I don't speak Spanish, I knew that she was singing and that I could understand a lot of the things that she was singing. And basically I didn't, you know, I I had never laid eyes on her. And when I saw her, I realized that she was a Mexican woman actually from Mexico here because of traveling nurses were moving all over the place. And so she was here from Mexico helping out. And uh, I could remember her voice and the encouragement that she was giving me while I was very ill. And when when my mom came in, she had left, but she had been talking to me. And I said, mom, you have to go meet this nurse. I'm pretty sure her name's Maria but it wasn't it was just that was the only Spanish name I could think of at the time. and most of the women that I've ever met who are Spanish their names were Maria so that's what I thought right so then your mom went on the hunt to find this Maria <laughs> yeah and it ended up her name was Rebecca my mom got to meet her so uh, very so special. many amazing people huh yes and yeah. we don't we don't hear enough about that. We hear so right. much about the negativity and the, and yeah. the things that people, you know, but there are so much good in this world. Yes. Yes. What was that other name that wrote the letter to me after she had to move away? Oh, there's, and there's some nurses that I've even been able to become friends with on Facebook because they just were they just stood out and they were so affectionate. Like, you know, all this, during all this COVID time, one of the sweet nurses, she, um, she was on, on, on call and she just gave me a hug and she was so loving. And it was just so, yeah, we just can't say enough good things about the nurses and doctors that we had. Just She sat with me and, and told me, you need to think about, you know, some of the things that you want to do when you get home and gave me encouragement to figure out things that I was going to be able to do. Think about things that you might not be able to and think about things that you're going to be able to and work on the things that you can't do and, but be happy with the things that you're going to have. And, you know, they, they were able to look at him more than just a patient they were able to look at him as a, a person. And we had a friend who made a blanket for him with a collage of different pictures of our family and friends. And it, it was sent to the hospital for him. And it was a good conversation starter, especially for a, a nurse who maybe hadn't seen Doug yet, a new nurse. And, and they were able to 
see those pictures on that blanket and they were able to see that he was more than just this patient laying in the bed. He was, you know, father and a friend and a husband and all of these things. They it was made it more. They called personal. me a football coach. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Now so you've got on, they can't see it, but I can. You've got on Gunderson Tough. It's on your t-shirt. And then Doug is wearing yep. a Rocky, which all of you yep. that have listened to my podcast know how much I love Rocky. My dad, Rocky, my husband, mentors in my life. So yep. what's the Gunderson Tough? Who came up with that and how did it come about? Well, um, it, do you want to share? I don't know. I don't remember. Well, I just, I just know that they wanted to make up a, a t-shirt and so this i'll show you this picture right here is doug when back in 2018 we went on a family vacation to philadelphia and we all ran up the rocky stairs doug ran up the rocky stairs and what they do when they get to the top is they put their arms up in the air and and um, so this picture is a picture of him back in 2018, after he had successfully climbed, ran up the Rocky stairs. And so we just had this made into a shirt with the quote on the back says it ain't how hard you hit, it's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. And so we just thought, what a, what a perfect thing. And so like, you know, we have always loved Rocky, Rocky quotes, the Rocky movies, how inspiring they are. And I figured that when it came up on Doug's one year mark, I thought, oh, what if I could pull off a surprise and have us go back to Philadelphia and have him go back up the Rocky steps. And so we planned it. We were, we were originally planning a trip already to see our son and daughter-in-law in Florida. And so when we started the trip, we had a layover in, where do we have a layover? St. Paul. Oh, Minneapolis, St. Paul. And when we got off the airplane, he was looking up at the screen and saying, I was I don't, trying to find Florida. I don't see anything for Florida. <laughs> and he said, which gate is it? And I, I told him and um, he said, what, Philadelphia? He said, why does it say Philadelphia? And I said, hmm. Anyway, I was able to pull off that surprise. And Doug is someone who he always figures things out. Like you can't keep a surprise from him at all. But I was able to, and I was so proud of myself. Anyway, so we spent a couple of days in Philadelphia and he was able to, he couldn't run up the Rocky stairs. Things looked a little bit different, but he was able to walk up the Rocky stairs, 72 steps of the rocky stairs with the his sons his two sons and our youngest daughter and our daughter-in-law were were there and and um they were right there with him as he walked up the rocky stairs and we also had one of the phones were playing the the rocky theme song and it was amazing and he got up them i don't think you needed any help i didn't have you needed some help getting down in case I fell. Yeah. But they didn't help me up them at all. But it was it was so cool. And for me, it was just 
such a, a wonderful thing to see that. And I just thought, you know what, now is as good as time as any to have us go back to Philadelphia. And I just thought that would be a great thing to celebrate his, his one year since all of this happened. So that was, that was really cool. I love it. So can you share with everybody? So it's been a year because we just celebrated Thanksgiving. What is your life like? How do you, how have you adapted to the changes with your body and your situation and your home and your life? So can you two share kind of what some of the challenges, but how you're overcoming those? So I try not to focus on the things that I can't do and which has been helpful, but at the same time, I still struggle with things that I can't do. There's things that, there's days that are harder than others. And I realize when it snows is one of my least favorite days because before I could go out shovel snow and I love serving people. And because of this, I can't do that kind of stuff anymore. And it kills me to sit and watch my son and my wife and my daughter shovel snow and know that I can't be out there doing that. And uh, I don't mind, you know, not being able to do some of the funner things because that's, you know, fun is fun and I can find fun things in my life no matter what, but the service part really bugs me. I've always been able to, that was one of my strengths. And one of the things that I figured, I'm not that good at saying my prayers. I'm not that good at, you know, scripture reading or preparing lessons or any of that, but I can sure serve. And now that I can't do that, I've realized that I need to work on the other things that I have that maybe I wasn't good at, but I can now work on, you know, teaching classes and talking and giving inspiration you can still other inspire ways. People. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's those kind of things have been a little bit difficult to adjust to. But as far as getting around and doing the things I want to do, I figure things out if I want to do it bad enough. We I've been able to go fishing in Florida, Texas, and you know climb the rocky stairs i've been able to i'm really good at eating <laughs> <laughs> and finding good places to eat well when you have a wife that is such a good cook it's not hard <laughs> <laughs> yeah i had no problem gaining the weight back that i had lost in the hospital we did have our our master bathroom the shower remodeled to accommodate him which was nice because prior to that getting done we had he had to sit in a a shower chair yeah. but he it was very hard for him to get his left foot over the bathtub and he had without to do that falling. For, without falling so that was that was really a challenge and we were able finally this summer to have the bathtub removed in our bathroom and there's just a shower with a sliding glass door and um, a handle for him to hold on to and the shower 
chair is still in there for him to sit down when he wants to, but that has made a huge difference that now he can shower on his own. And um, so, yeah, just slowly trying to be more independent with things, learning, learning how to put a t-shirt on and he needs help putting socks on and, and, but yet sometimes he, he does it himself if I'm busy doing something else or not home, but I can do almost everything myself. Might take it a just longer. takes a lot longer and I might need a shower afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> now I had, I had meant to ask you too, Doug, how did the stroke affect your speech? Because that was one thing when I listened to Liza's podcast, I was so excited to hear you speaking so well. So I believe when I was first out, I, I did have speech impediments and I've kind of learned to, I still stutter a little bit more than I ever have. Your, your voice, all the kids have said, your voice does sound different than it used to, but. Well, my vocal cords, cords were kind of messed up because of the ventilator being down in my throat. And they said that that would be a, a side effect and that could last the rest of your life. So that has made my voice change a little bit. And I realized that I kind of have to pronounce things a lot more than I ever used to. And so my, I can hear myself and it doesn't sound exactly like I used to. What about driving? Are you able to drive? Yeah. Oh. I figured that out real quick. <laughs> Something I, you wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, yeah, he's about two weeks after, or not even that I got in the pickup and because we have land, I was able to practice out in the fields and get really comfortable with it. And then eventually I would drive to my parents' house, which is only about a mile down the road and back. And uh, the more and more I did it, the more and more confident I've become. Well, and then like on stretches of highway that he's really familiar with, he does fine. And, but like when we're in, when we get to bend, like to drive around in bend, he'll have me then drive because it is a little, I, I think your uh, concentration. Plus I hate driving in bend anyway. That's well, a good excuse now. <laughs> but any, like if he's driving like in, in, a biz a bigger town stuff. is, is like a little to. more stressful for him and I take over and um I never used to like to anyway so yeah now I have a really good excuse to just hand the wheel over to somebody else yeah <laughs> you also said I've got two more questions for you you also said that um this has really unified you in your marriage so how what are some things that you would say and how that's unified you so I realized um, after seeing my wife take good care of me and the pain that she went through because of me being sick and, and everything, I realized how much she meant to me. I realized also that if you are healthy, you should help your wife out all the time. Do things that you would think that you should have to do, do them anyway, because most, 
women are going to outlive their husbands and there's you're going to be probably taking care of you in your older years mine just came a little quicker and uh if you can't change diapers and do those kind of things to help out then you really should because you know you're going to feel guilty for not doing those kind of things eventually and i realized that i could have been a lot bigger help when I was young and able to. And so it also made me realize how much I loved her and how much she meant to me. And how difficult this is probably for her. And I need to be, you know, a lot more patient and caring about her than and what she's gone through than what I've gone through. Wow, Tamara? Uh, I think just like seeing him, how he was so sick and just when we would get to see each other in the hospital and like, it was hard for me to leave him in the evening and, you know, go to the camper, go to, you know, stay the night somewhere else other than just being by his side was, was just difficult. But I definitely felt like through like caring for him and, and helping him suction out mucus out of his mouth and all of that. It's like, like I, I loved him already, but something about that experience just made our love for each other grow so much deeper. And I, I can't really explain it, but just like, we truly love each other. And that's not to say that we, now we don't have hard days because there are some days, especially Sundays for it, Doug are really difficult because I help him get dressed. You I know. have a hard time with buttons. So I have to have Tamara button my shirt and I feel like Dapper Dan. <laughs> <laughs> All Dapper Dan. But you know, I I uh you know, and maybe sometimes I'm not that patient, you know. It, it's it's hard because it's it's real life. It's not like every single day is is goes smoothly. There's definitely difficult days where he's frustrated I'm frustrated and so we might see say unkind things to each other but we always apologize and commit to trying to be more patient with each other it's it's and we can laugh quicker about stuff like that like life is too short to to I don't know I've learned that life is too short to hold grudges, for instance, or to just not be kind and loving to people. And I'm, I'm so grateful that he's still by my side and I can't imagine what life would be like without him. And I will take, I will take this. And, um, this is much better than what the other alternative could have been. And we have, I want to say too, that we have wonderful kids who are so loving and he, we have wonderful siblings that, and parents like so.
so many wonderful people that have been so supportive and and um my sister tara here tara has been wonderful and so supportive she's like a rock and is always you know looking out for me and trying to figure things out that will make it easier for me and because of her son grant who had suffered a stroke in the womb she's got plenty of information to help help me out and it's been great and our friendship has grown immensely she i always loved tara anyway yeah. but she <laughs> has more she has driven from her home in up in portland driven over the mountain to bend to come and meet us on doug's various doctor's appointments just hops in the car and we'll just meet us there and be right there just as a support and it's been it's been great we've been really grateful for it well i know there are so many people that love you both and are so grateful that doug you're still here on this earth <laughs> and um my last question that i ask everybody on my podcast is how do you personally seek light so tamra how do you personally seek light? Um, I think for me, I definitely always have a prayer in my heart. Like I'm always communicating throughout every day with my heavenly father, thanking him, feeling grateful for the many blessings that I have, I, I just feel so grateful and so blessed for everything that I have in my life. And I, I love to have just a constant communication with my heavenly father through just like a, a prayer in my heart all the time. And I have every desire to be always be worthy of having the constant companionship of the spirit with me is really, really important. And I am um, trying to think what else. Another thing that I, I wanted to share is I want people to know that when you are in a time of need, that you, when you pray, you can, you can call out names of loved ones that have gone before because the reality is is they they are there and they can help you they are willing to help you they they would love to help you and all you have to do is just call their name um you don't have to out loud you can even think their name i'm just saying that that our loved ones that have passed on they they can help us with struggles that we're going through. And I think that that is often like overlooked. Well, you've um, said that you believe that that's probably one of the ways that Heavenly Father can answer all of our prayers by having those people help out with those answers. Absolutely. Yeah, I think so. So that's the way I seek light is just, I always want to be worthy of having the light of Christ in me every single day and, and having a prayer in my heart every day. Yeah. Thank you, Doug. So 
the way that I've always kind of seek light is through the service of others. I've always felt like that has brought me the most joy and the most light is by serving others. And the scripture says, when you're in the service of your fellow being, you're only in the service of your God. And so I've always felt like if I can serve, I'm, those have been, you know, some of my best feelings. I could win football games. I could win wrestling matches, arm wrestling, whatever, but I've never felt better than when I'm serving others. And so in order for me to do that now, I realize I have to do it differently. And so, but that's still going to be the way that I seek light is in the service of others. Yeah. And this whole experience has made the both of us like want to seek out those who are having a hard time. It makes me want to be more aware of who needs my help. I definitely, because we were so blessed with, with people's kindness that I want to return that favor by doing something for somebody to, to give service. And, and truly, if you've experienced doing something nice for somebody, those kind of feelings that you have are better than any other feeling that there is. And so uh, that's what together we, we want to look for opportunities to serve others. Sometimes they're not easy, but um, this last Sunday, we had a pretty good downfall of snow and the elders quorum president sent out a text to everybody that they needed people at the church to help with the snow. And so my son Harlan took off and I felt, I was feeling horrible and really didn't even want to go to church. And because I have a strong wife, she was able to talk me into getting out there and just doing it. And so we went to church still feeling like I, you know, had no way to contribute. And it was fast Sunday last Sunday. So I'm sitting in the back, the very back. And uh, my son gets a text from our bishop. And you know, Sarah Wynn. Yep. Her husband is our bishop. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, anyway, he sent a text to Harlan saying, tell Doug to come up. So I stood up in the back and walked all the way up to the front and bore my testimony and realized, okay, I can serve others by doing something like that. Those are the kind of things that I'm going to have to do in order to be of service and feel like I've contributed. So it was a blessing that he sent that text out to my son who encouraged me to go ahead and do the, that. And I felt so much better the rest of the Sunday because of that. The tender mercies of the Lord, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, I just want to thank you both. Thank you for sharing your story. And you know, your story being shared can strengthen and lift and help people to keep going, to not give up. There are miracles being performed on this earth. And we need to have hope and faith and keep working hard. So I just want to thank both of you for coming on the podcast and sharing the story. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Beth. 
am so grateful that you listened to my latest podcast. Please share these episodes with your family and friends. I look forward to being with you again soon. Have a great day.